The thoughts of this sermon this morning come from a text in the book of Acts. In fact, several uh, passages. So I want you to just turn first to the 11th chapter. And um, I'll read a minute from verse 19, but I hope that you would keep this uh, book of Acts open on your lap because we'll be coming back to it in a little bit later. If somebody wanted to take a Bible dictionary and look up the definition of the word encouragement, it'd probably have Barnabas's picture beside the definition. He, his name meant son of encouragement. And this dear man of that early church had this marvelous gift of encouragement. And he employed that gift to change and touch the lives of thousands of people. I want us to look at three examples of that this morning. And I have three questions I want you to answer. Are you ready? The first is in the 11th chapter, beginning verse 19. And so read it with me. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, even though they didn't get the message, there were some of them of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and beginning, began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And the news about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he had come and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain, take a pen and underline, to remain true to the Lord. <coughs> now this is what was happening. The word of God was spreading, and up in Antioch it had come, word had come that many of them had come to Christ and had embraced him. And many of them were non-Jews. Now you know what Jews think of non-Jews. As a matter of fact, this exclusion of the non-Jews is a prominent part of the New Testament uh, theology. And word had come that many of these people who are being saved were even non-Jews. And they thought we need to send somebody up to Antioch to encourage them. And who would be better to do that than the son of encouragement? And so Barnabas went up to Antioch and he encouraged them. It intrigues me when I read this that his response was not to really uh, evaluate. He didn't analyze their, their conversion. He didn't even put them to a litmus test. He just got excited about the fact that people were coming to Christ and he began to encourage them. And he encouraged them at the point of remaining true to God. I suppose that's the greatest need, to remain true to God. For reality is that, that it's not always easy, and, and it's never as easy as it seems like it will be. It's a whole lot easier to make a resolution on New Year's Eve than it is to keep it in April. 
And so he encouraged them to remain true. Briscoe said that there are four stages in my Christian life. The first stage was, man, this is easy. (laughs) Just had to walk down except Christ. Second stage, this is difficult. Third stage, this is impossible. The truth is that remaining true to Christ is more difficult than it seems like when you first commit your life to Jesus Christ. You remember when you were a young person and you went off to camp and, and you were sitting around a bonfire on the last night of the camp and everybody got a little twig or a pine cone or a stick and that represented your sin. And you confessed that sin to God and you made those promises to God and then you threw them into the fire as, a, as an expression of your commitment that you were done with your sin and life was going to be different from now on. It was easy to make that kind of commitment sitting around a campfire while your friends were singing hymns and choruses. It is another thing when you got back home and your mother asked you to carry out the garbage. There are a lot of things today that, that militate against hope. There are a lot of sources of despair, circumstances. And while we were trying to celebrate Christmas with some kind of hope, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, the media bombards us with all all these allegations about our president. And while we're trying to celebrate life that ought to be happy and joyous, a celebration, a young cop stands out on the side of the highway in Dallas helping a, helping a stranger and a drunk driver comes by and kills him. The tragedy of that is that man had been arrested 13 times for drunk driving. And a young couple walks into a mall to eat a pizza and while they're sitting there, gangs come through up and down the escalator and gunfire erupts and one, that young man, that young father, dies in a pool of blood. And you wonder, what's happening to us? Can you believe anybody? Can you trust anybody anymore? And broken relationships. And here is a man who walks out on his family. And here are children left alone. Here a marriage is breaking up. I love the story of the couple who decided they would celebrate their 40th anniversary at a quiet dinner for two. She reached over and took her champagne glass and lifted it and said, in spite of everything. That's a joke. <laughs> a lot of everything, in spite of everything. Sometimes I even wonder if I can trust myself. I've made so many promises that I've not kept I've made so many commitments to God that I've not fulfilled. Sometimes I even wonder if I can trust myself. So if I make a commitment to Christ, can I really carry through on that? I'm like the little boy who prayed one night on his knees. Dear Lord, I'm trying to save some money so I can buy me a new baseball glove. Don't let the ice cream man come down our street tomorrow. We'd like, to, we'd like for God just to zap it and everything would be all right so it wouldn't be up to us, but it, it often is. I'm here to ask you this question. I'm searching with you. Can we even trust God? I mean, is there really anything to this? Some of us may feel like the guy who 
whose wife left him, his children deserted him. He was driving down the street and got hit by a truck. He's laying there, lying there in the street all broken up and he said, God, what did I do wrong? <laughs> what did I do to deserve this? And he thought he heard this voice from heaven say, Sam, you didn't do anything wrong. There's just something about you that ticks me off. <laughs> there, some of us may feel like it. You know, there's something about us that ticks God off. <laughs> I mean, is there anything to this? And Swindoll puts it like this. He said, I fear our generation has come dangerous. So we walk away. Sticking with an occupation is tough. So we look elsewhere and we quit. And we desperately need somebody to appear on the scene who would say to us, you need to hang in there. It works. I've been the gamut. I've been on one end and I've gone to the other end and I can tell you, you can stay true and you'll be glad you did and we need somebody like a Barnabas who would come to say, I'm here with you and I know you can do it. Here's the question. How long has it been since you walked up to somebody and put their, your arm around them and said, I've been watching you and I'm thrilled at your life. And I want you to know that I care about you and I want you to know I'm grateful for you and I want you to know that I'm here. If you ever need me, I want to encourage you. How long has it been since you've encouraged somebody in the faith? How long has it been since you've told your children that or your spouse that? You'll get a chance to do that tonight. For in one of the most important services of the year here in our church, we have our college students who are away from college and some who are now here at Southeastern, just off for the holidays, who will come and share in this service. And after the service, we always have a time where you can come up to these kids and say to them, you are our hope for this world. And if you don't make it, we can't make it. But we're here to tell you, we encourage you. No wonder in, chapter, in verse 24 it says, that many came to Christ as a result. And I'm convinced that it was because of Barnabas that many came to Christ. Second experience is found in chapter 9. So we're going to go backwards a little bit to chapter 9. Let me tell you what is happening while you're turning. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, is bumping up against the life of Saul. Now you know who Saul is. Saul became Paul, Saul of Tarsus. I don't know how to um, uh, really um, uh, picture him except like this. If you had lived, if, if it had been in the 30s and early 40s, he would have been a Hitler. If, you had, if he had lived or... If he were in the 40s, he would have been a Stalin. If he had lived in the 80s, he would have been a Hussein. He was a violent man, consumed by religious passion, consumed by religious zeal. This angry wolf ravaged the flock of God, and he brought Christians, hundreds of them, to death. But one day on a road, he encountered Jesus and was changed. He disappeared from the scene for a while and now he's back and he comes into this group called 
Christians, Christians, and he wants to be a part of them. He wants to be a part of their fellowship. He wants to be one of them. And you know how they responded. Look at chapter 9, verse 26. And when he'd come to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, and they were afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. I could imagine. This guy's a spy. He's, he's in the group. He's infiltrating the, the group. He, you know, I mean, this guy's dangerous. Let's build a wall and keep him out. Let's draw a circle and allow him not to come in. Let's get our little clique and refuse him admission. That's the picture. But Barnabas took hold of him. I love that phrase in the Greek. It means he literally got him by the, around the neck like a buddy. He got him around the shoulder, with his arm on his shoulders, and he brought him into the group and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to, the, to him and how Damascus, at, at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus and he was, look, moving freely among them. Here's what Barnabas did. He, how, do you, how would you say, he, he loaned his reputation to Saul. This is what he did. He said, um, you don't believe him, do you? Do you believe me? You don't trust him, do you? Do you trust me? He has no um, integrity, no he has no prestige. He, he has no credibility, does he? Does, do I? If I have any credibility, any prestige, any, any clout, so to speak, then I want to loan it to, to Saul. Be pretty interesting if we could project ourselves into time and imagine what would have happened to the gospel Paul preached had it not been for Barnabas? Now, I'll never make that much of an impact on anybody's life, but I can tell you there is a person today long since gone to glory who is responsible for my being here. Now here's the question. Oh, by the way, I, I need to say this first before the question because it might affect how you answer. Barnabas had this uncanny ability to get involved at the point of one's need. I mean, he, just, he was just at the right time, at the right place with the right answer to the wrong problem, to the, to the problem. A very famous man visited in a little Scottish home one day and he, he noticed a painting on the wall and he, he asked a, a timid 15-year-old boy in that home to tell him about that painting. He wasn't interested in the painting. He was just going to try to draw out the 15-year-old timid boy. And the boy in a very timorous voice began to describe the painting, described it in detail. Later on, the famous man saw the little boy on the street and stopped and said, man, I just... I'm impressed by your description of that painting in your house. He said, uh, I have a feeling you're going to be a great writer. 
And that little boy went home that night, that 15-year-old boy, tears in his eyes, he went to bed. He always wished he could write, we could be a writer. And this man met him at the point of his need. You may have read some of the writings of that boy when he became an adult. The Heart of the Midlothian, Ivanhoe, The Lady of the Lake, Sir Walter Scott. And that encourager was Robert Burns. There was a little girl whose doctor performed a surgery on her eyes, missed, messed up big time, and she was blind. Shortly her father died, and her mother had to go to work, so her grandmother raised her. She became her eyes, she read, she listened. And when this young woman, this little girl, began to describe things, she began to say, oh, Fanny, Fanny, darling, you have an ability to describe things. You should be a writer, darling. You should be a writer. Fanny wrote 8,000 hymns. All the way my Savior leads me, Jesus, keep me near the cross. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And while we laud and honor Fanny Crosby, she lauds and honors the encouragement of her grandmother. Here's the question. Do you have any friends that are outside the circle, that can't get in. Oh, the saddest sight on earth to me, I hope it is to you, the saddest sight on earth to me is a child, a young person, a person who wants in but is left out, who is not a part of the group. And on Sunday morning, we go through this formal welcome of guests, and we walk up and down the aisles and we cross places and we shake hands and welcome them in a formal way. But does that die here? Are there people who are outside the circle who need just your encouragement? Let me tell you, we have our cliques. And some folks say, well, there's not that many people moving into Durant in the first place. That makes it that much more difficult to belong, my friend. There is one other experience. You see, when I hadn't preached in a while, I might get a little long, but I'll try to wipe this out. Chapter 13, verse 13. Now let me tell you what 13 is about. John Mark, who is Barnabas' nephew, his sister's son, has joined Paul and Barnabas on missionary, missionary journey, on a missionary uh, enterprise. And for some reason, if you'll follow right on and read on down, like to 13, from 13, 13 on down, I'll not read those verses. For some reason, John Mark quits and goes home. 
Maybe he gets tired of mission work. Maybe he's disillusioned. Maybe he's homesick. He's young, but he's, he splits and he heads home. And, Mar, and Barnabas and Paul continue. In the 15th chapter of the book of Acts, beginning at verse 36, here's what happens. 18 months have passed and they're ready to start on another mission. Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas suggests, well, let's, let's take old Mark with us on this one. Let's, let's, he, he's ready to go. He's, he's, had a, he's had a change of heart. And Paul says... Betray me once, shame on you. Betray me twice, shame on me. No way is he going with us. And they have this problem that develops between Paul and Barnabas because of John Mark's uh, defection. And so they decide to break up and go on their own. Ah, Barnabas says, this is a tidbit paraphrase, he needs a second chance. He needs another opportunity. He's grown up. He's failed. No doubt about it, he failed. But he needs somebody not to be his critic, not to condemn him. He needs somebody who would encourage him and say, hey, we haven't given up on you, young man. We know you can do it. And even though he fails, Barnabas decides he will Stay with him. Not to be his critic, not to condemn him, not to analyze what happened, just to encourage him. Encourage a failure. Now Peter and John come to the temple gate one day and there's a man there begging. He's crippled. He's handicapped. And he wants money, and Paul, Peter, and John, good Baptist preachers, have none. And they said, silver and gold have we not, have we none. But what we have we give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. He didn't rise up and walk. He just sat there. And then, watch this, and then it says that Peter extended his hand, seized him, and lifted him to his feet, and he began to leap and to praise God. Now, what Barnabas was doing with John Mark was he was extending his hand. Here's the question. What is your attitude toward those who have failed? Have you written them off? Have you been quick to criticize and condemn? Let me ask you this. Do you sometimes feel a secret delight when somebody else fails makes you feel a little better because you know if you haven't, you will? What is your attitude toward the man who fails? How about Nathaniel Hawthorne? He wanted to be a writer and he, he tried to write, did bits and pieces. He was a failure. He took jobs and he, 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 didn't get, he couldn't get there. He just was one of those guys that could never find himself. Finally, he began to work in the House of Customs in Salem, Massachusetts. And 
and there were changes in the political climate, so he lost his job, and he came home one day after losing his job, totally, totally crushed, a failure. And he walked into the house, and he said to his wife, I'll never do anything in this life. I am a total failure. I have failed for the last time. She said, oh, you haven't failed? This is just your opportunity to write that story you are wanting to write. And Nathaniel Hawthorne sat down that day and began to write the immortal scarlet letter. He's called the most genius of a man America has ever produced by way of imagination. And it was said of him that he was America's first and greatest romantic novelist. And he said of his wife, she was a flower sent from heaven to discover the possibilities in the soul of a failure. I love it. She was a flower sent from heaven to discover the possibilities in the soul of a failure. What's your attitude toward those who fail? And I thought when I turned to the fourth chapter of 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy, and I read where this man Paul was about ready to check out. And he's in a dungeon somewhere writing to a friend and says, Come see me. I'll probably never get out of here. When you come, would you bring Mark? For he's profitable both to you and to me. That's the same Mark he wouldn't have anything to do with. And I have a feeling that this Mark sits out before me this morning who has failed and failed and failed but you're not going to stop, you're not going to quit because there's a flower sent from heaven to discover and touch the possibilities of your soul. For when you become a Barnabas, you become most like Jesus. You say you want to be like Jesus? You say you want to be like Jesus? Barnabas was most like him. For there was forever on the lips of our Lord these words, Be of good cheer. Oh, the impact he had. He said to a cripple, Stand up and walk, and the spirit of life literally entered him. And to his disciples, cowering in the storm, he said, why are you afraid? Have you just spent time talking to folks? And he went into the house of Zacchaeus, and when he came out, Zacchaeus' self-respect had been restored. And when he sat down with a woman at a well, when he walked away, her life was changed. And he found people in the midst sucked in, washed over, and blown away. 
And when he walked away from them, their lives were like flowers after a storm that were rising to meet the quietness and the warmth of a new day to be like Jesus is to be a son of encouragement. You need some encouragement? Come to Jesus this morning. You want to be like Him? Put a sign around your neck and say, I'm here for you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the memory, the face of a, of a Barnabas, of an encourager. And Father, while it all comes down to the bottom line, we know that we are far too critical, too condemnatory, censorious, Forgive us. Help us to see people through the eyes of hope and love. And God, help us, those of us who are so discouraged to find help and hope through Jesus Christ, whose name I pray. Would you look here? I'm not asking you to make a resolution today. I don't believe in them. But I am asking you this morning if you are willing to meet, to place your life at the, at the disposal of suffering, hurting people, to make a public commitment to that, whatever that means. And if you're here this morning and your life is just the pits, would you give Jesus a chance to make a difference? While we stand to sing, we invite you to do that.